Welcome to Feeling It, a podcast where we discuss TV, movies, pop culture, and whether or not we are feeling it. If this is your first time joining us, welcome to the show. And here we go. Come on, walk and talk. Alright, here we go. You guys want to hear something neat? It's showtime! Hold your ears, folks. Here we go! See what you can do now. Take your position. Alright, ladies, buckle up. Let's do this. Hold on to your butts. Seriously? Listen to me very, very carefully. Hey, it's me again. Eat him up. Enjoy. Welcome, everybody, to Feeling It. In addition to what we're feeling this week, we're going to be talking about Luke Cage, the new Marvel Netflix show. Uh, but before we do that, let's introduce ourselves and tell the world who you are and how many podcasts you regularly listen to. My name is Lawson Soward. Happy to be talking into your ears. Um, I'm an art director in Nashville, Tennessee, and I regularly listen to about 20 podcasts. I'm Sandra Amstutz. I'm a social media manager in Nashville, Tennessee, and... If we're talking regularly, like I listen to every episode that comes out every week, I listen yep, to about yep. 15. But if we're talking about how many I'm subscribed to, it's about 63. And those are, you know, ones that I Dang. tune in and just pick and choose episodes out of. Woohoo! I know. Oh, okay. I need to amend my answer based on Sandra's because I regularly <laughs> listen to like probably a dozen. Some of those are like serial, which happens like once a year. That okay. I included in my list. So keeping it legit. Thank you. So <laughs> All right. I'm Lucas, a designer from the Bay Area, and I regularly listen to 17 podcasts, but I subscribe to 22, and I thought I had a lot, but apparently <laughs> not, guys. <laughs> we listen to podcasts for some reason. You got huh? more than me. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's weird that our enjoying and listening to podcasts so much that we would make one. I know, right? Super weird. <laughs> Super weird. Anyway, every week we like to talk about something we've discovered or either rediscovered throughout the week, so let's talk about what we're feeling. Lawson, what are you feeling this week? Oh my gosh. Well, to be quite honest, the new Bon Iver album, 22 A Million, is my life right now, but I've already felt um, <laughs> new Bon Iver music this month, I think, whenever he released the single. So it's kind of a good uh, reminder for me to wait for full album releases in the future. Um, <laughs> you can't also, help what you're feeling, Lawson. Sometimes yeah, yeah. you're just feeling Thank it. You, I you feel love like what you love, man. I'm getting such good notes of self-care. Thank you, guys. <laughs> um, but I, I really am feeling that. But um, in the effort to not only be feeling something, but also have something that's a bit of a recommendation, um, I wanted to talk about... Uh, the band or one woman band, The Japanese House. Um, so I don't know if you guys have heard her before, but she is fantastic. She's a 21-year-old Brit named Amber Bain. Um, her, uh, you know, nom de plume, if you will, is uh, The Japanese House, and it's really beautiful, ambient, uh, just completely enveloping electronic music. Um, it's kind of in the vein of Imagine Heap or Fru-Fru, but it doesn't feel like it's 2003 when you're listening to it. Um, <laughs> it's very current and transportive. Um, there are a handful of her songs that kind of fit in this unique space that um, music rarely can, where it's a song that works no matter what mood you're in. So if you're sad, it's really going to be right there with you. If you're just relaxing... Um, it helps you feel chilled. Um, if you're needing to get stuff done, there's this kind of driving, um, uh, thwapping uh, under bass that uh, keeps you moving. And so it's, I was really, really impressed with uh, a lot of her music that I've heard. She has several EPs. Um, the reason I want to talk about her right now is uh, she recently released a new single called Face Like Thunder on Spotify. Um, which is a, a single from her upcoming EP called Swim Against the Tide. It's going to drop on November 11th. Um, but I, I, I love that song. It's incredible. Um, but rather than play that track, I, I figured for me it was an introduction, and so I wanted to kind of um, talk about this as though those listening were also getting an introduction uh, to the Japanese house. So I wanted to play one of my favorite of her tracks, uh, a little clip here from... 2000 release 2015 release called pools to bathe in um this song is called still 
complement it and change the setting that you're in for the better. So uh, I highly recommend checking out all of her work that you can get your hands on. Um, my streaming of choice is Spotify and she has a bunch of tracks on there. Um, so yeah, the Japanese house, I'm feeling it. Yeah. Uh, I will definitely be checking that out. That sounds amazing. Um, yeah. I One day I was walking out to my mailbox and my roommate, our um, mutual friend Lizzie, was driving into the driveway and this music was playing from her car and I had never heard it before. And I had to be like, what are you listening to? Because it really just was so ear catching. Just the few seconds I heard of it, just her pulling into the driveway. And I haven't like went onto Spotify and listened to it myself, but every time I'm in the car with my roommate, um, she'll usually put it on, and I I really, really dig it. And this was a, a great reminder that this is a, a band that I need to be looking into myself. Yeah, it is a total earworm. And, I mean, it's the kind of thing where normally something more ambient like this would be something that's nice background music, but it really just burrows in. I can't help but um, sing the chorus to myself throughout the course of the day, and um, it just really fills up a space. It's beautiful music. I'm glad that you've uh encountered that's like a great way to come across it for the first time just like hearing a <laughs> bit of it and being like why i need more <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly this is like windows down at like 11 p.m rolling in your car oh yeah oh exactly it's that kind of music yeah that's your awesome. hand doing that like waving exactly up and down yeah. slowly through the wind yeah it's great <laughs> the really cheesy indie girl yep. movie girl in an indie movie yes yes <laughs> it's not cheesy if you're doing it without any cameras around <laughs> <laughs> unless you're an indie girl <laughs> well, cool yeah i will definitely be mixing that into my uh bon Iver playlist <laughs> that's happening right now <laughs> good deal cool sandra what are you feeling this week well um since we brought up podcast earlier i thought this was a good week to tell our listeners about um one of my favorite podcasts i mean i get so excited when a new episode comes out of this podcast now, I want to forewarn and say that I don't think either you, Lucas, or Lawson would be a fan of this podcast, just knowing who you guys are. Um, yep. But this so is for dumb. anyone. <laughs> 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 this is for um, anyone who appreciates a nice bit of celebrity gossip. It's a podcast called This Week Had Me Like. It's hosted by Caroline Goldfarb, who is known on social media as at official Sean Penn. Um, she <laughs> has a lot of really great celebrity-themed merchandise that I recommend you also check out. Um, towels and stickers and um, just lots of things with really great funny collages of celebrities. Um, but this podcast is a hilarious place for me to go and listen to people dish about celebs. She usually has very funny guests on. Sometimes they're like minor actors that can still get away with participating in celebrity gossip. Um, or they're entertainment writers or comedians. Um, really, really entertaining people. Um, the, the thing that makes This Week Had Me Like special is that she doesn't focus on your basic big stories. She's not going to be talking about like the Brangelina split or whoever Taylor Swift is dating. Um, she specializes in hilarious, bizarre, obscure celebrity gossip. So some of like the stories that she's revealed to me that I've um, especially appreciated are like Kirstie Alley's deep love for Skrillex, uh, the fact that Jeffrey Katzenberg and his son hosted a 700-person Shabbat dinner at Burning Man this year. 
Um, Rita Ora performing at the Vatican, Shaq and his new career as a DJ, the fact that Nick Cannon was appointed chief operating officer of Radio Shack, um, as well as just like many more like really specific pieces of celeb gossip. Uh, she often will reveal very funny or embarrassing celebrity endorsements. Uh, she'll do a whole segment on random Instagram posts that celebs do or strange videos that she finds. My favorite segment that she does um, is called Spotlight, but for this, <laughs> she takes the spirit of the movie Spotlight and she does a yeah. deep investigative dive into a celebrity <laughs> mystery or scandal. That's a great name for a segment like it, that. It is. And before she does the segment, she always plays this audio clip. I know there's things you cannot tell me, but I also know there's a story here, and I think everybody will hear about it. And so it really just sets you up for, like, going deep into whatever, like, bizarre thing a celebrity has done that nobody else. The story needs spotlight. Yeah. Nobody else in journalism is doing this work, but she will. Um, I this, guess I'm laughing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, this podcast has me dying laughing. Oh, um, so I highly recommend it. It. I also really anticipate her episodes because she only posts every other week on Fridays. So there's more of a gap in between episodes than I normally get from podcasts. Um, I, I highly recommend it. I think... If you hate celebrity gossip, obviously you won't like this podcast. But <laughs> if you have never really thought one way or the other, I would recommend just checking it out. Because not only do you learn a lot about celebrities that you never knew knew about, um, you learn, like, lingo. I learned a great term called thirst trap. Are you are y'all familiar with this term? Thirst trap? Okay. A thirst trap is a great term. Um, it means so y'all know like if someone's thirst if someone is acting thirsty, it means like they're being kind of desperate, like usually in a romantic or sexual tent like situation, right? Right. Okay. Nope. Well, that's what being thirsty is, Lucas. <laughs> you didn't know that, Lucas? I'm taking notes. Okay. All right. <laughs> so a thirst trap is when your chick you, she's so thirsty. It's when you're doing something oh, to purposely makes more sense now. <laughs> It's when you're doing something to purposely trap other people's thirst. So it's usually in reference to when you post a photo online that is like blatantly you being sexy. Like you definitely think you look really attractive in this photo or video. And so you're posting it in an effort to like trap people's thirst. So it's like a new wave word for tease? Yeah, but it's more it's more just about being like shamelessly posting online so um, fewer sexist connotations got it yeah and so it's like <laughs> so like a great example of a thirst trap is one that she um revealed to us on a recent episode of the podcast was zachary quinto posted a selfie on instagram and the caption was something like oh sick in bed but the photo he looks incredible and he's like smoldering like at the camera and so like <laughs> that's a very blatant thirst trap um and so that's like a really fun term that is reoccurring in this podcast, as well as plenty of others. She does millennial lingo in a way that is not obnoxious. And I think that that's like a great skill of hers is that she's constantly using very current millennial lingo, but I, I'm never annoyed by it. So we shall see. We <laughs> shall see. At least I'm not. I'm not promising that you, Lucas, won't be. <laughs> I think I'm not recommending you listen to this podcast. I'm recommending I, I know, our I listeners know. to check it out. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. so that's this week had me like, like I said, she posts every other week. So um, I, if you're listening to the podcast, our podcast today, when we post it, she has an episode that'll probably be coming out this Friday. So a great time to check in and see what's happening. Also, feel free to look up that Quinto photo because his shoulders are the real deal. Oh, that's a good. That reminds me, Lawson, is that you should also you should definitely follow This Week Had Me Like on Instagram because she posts on her podcast Instagram 
references to all the things she talks about in the podcast. So, like, oh. if she talks about someone's Instagram post or, like, a weird commercial that a celebrity did, you can go – all of those things will be there so that you can, like, review them as she's discussing them on the podcast. That's and, the like, second know, thing that pops up on and have, like, Google the visual, whenever you search it. Yeah. Well, she can have, like, the visual representation. Perfect. Yeah. I Googled thirst trap, and the first image that came up was a water bottle in a bear trap. <laughs> and then every other image was something I did not want to see. Oh. So. <laughs> well. That's what you get for Googling things. Yeah, I, I, I definitely didn't advise you to do that. So. No, nope, not at all. My bad. My do you bad. have any work computer? I hope so. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah. Well, cool. Uh, going in the complete opposite direction <laughs> is what I'm feeling this week. Uh, raise your hand if you like Jane Austen. And I can't tell if you're raising your hand or not because this is a podcast. Uh, do you guys like Jane Austen? Yes or no? I've never read any Jane Austen. And My goodness, Sandra. What? I just, I'm just getting mad at oh, you. Oh, okay. Gotcha. And Mock you know anger. that I have a, a special distaste for period pieces. Um, oh, yeah. That's right. That being said, I do adore Joe Wright's version of Pride and Prejudice. I watch it. Who doesn't? So many times. So um, I have somewhat of an affinity for Jane Austen, but right, not a right. full one because I hated Emma. Sorry, I'll let you continue, though. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I mean, when it comes to uh, wealth and richness... I think, I mean, you guys know me. You know that I prefer new money to old money. And so I'm more of a classic fan. Classic Lawson. Classic me. I'm more of a fan of Jane Dallas to Jane Austen. Okay, that wasn't even funny. I All right, no, that was really Dallas funny. Cause it was I even up, tried to set you up. Was a yeah, whole no, thing. that was. Yeah, so it nope. really, it paid off. Nope. And I really, I feel bad for you, frankly, Jane because Dallas? you can't hear everyone else. Okay. Nobody's Jane. It's, it's an Austin, Texas, Dallas, Austin, Texas Dallas, reference. Texas. It's so dumb. God. So dumb. <laughs> I know. Uh, Lawson, I, I had to explain your joke, which is probably the low point of my week. You Not didn't good. have to explain it to <laughs> one person listening who is dying laughing. And this is for them. It's not for y'all. Okay. No, but okay. I do like Jane Austen. Um, I should have just answered the question directly. I do like Jane Austen. Um, <laughs> all of the film adaptations that I've seen, I've really enjoyed. Um, the long-form miniseries adaptations that I've seen, I've enjoyed. Um, but I'm not familiar with love and friendship at all. Well, thanks for introducing what I'm feeling this week. It's love and friendship. <laughs> I thought you already said that. I'm so sorry. Nope, hadn't said that. You're good. What I'm feeling this week is love and friendship. Uh, it's an adaptation of Jane Austen's um, novel. Novella. Lady... Oh, it's a novella. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. Jane Austen's novella, Lady Very Susan. Very good on toast. Shut yes. up, Lawson. Oh, nope, stop talking. Not my turn. <laughs> Um, Lady Susan is a, is a novella that was published probably 80 years, I think, after she wrote it. Um, and this is the first time we've seen an adaptation of it. I know there's been a, a stage play of it, but, um, on the, on the film side of it, this is our, this is our first foray. It's the, it's the story of a young woman played by Kate Beckinsale, um, trying to find husbands for herself and her daughter. Guys, this is a great movie. It's so funny. It really is. The dialogue's fantastic. <laughs> Um, costumes are superb and for, I mean, I feel like you have to have a big costume budget for any one of these movies. Um, and I know this was a low budget production of this and they did a fantastic job making it feel real. Um, and it has a lot of great British charm that you don't usually see in period pieces. Um, but comes out really well in a lot of Austin's work. So, um, Sandra, you have, you have seen this, correct? Yes, I have. Awesome. Um, I I really enjoyed this movie. I yeah, it I found it really funny. I it was funny in a lot of like very sly ways. I thought Kate Beckinsale mm -hmm. was just a knockout in it. I really loved every scene that she was in. Um, you know, Lucas, you said that this was like very far from my pick this week, but I would say it's not because I feel like it ha has a lot of the same spirit of like gossip and intrigue and mystery. And like she's like this very mysterious figure in this in this new social circle. Um, and it's very true. I I, I, I enjoy a lot of like the social dynamics that were played out throughout this movie. And I love a great. Um, villainous female character. So she was really, really fun to watch. I feel like something that's really hard to, I guess, adapt is epistolary 
work. Um, and this being written as letters, um, I think is one of the reasons that it has worked as a stage play and not so much as a movie. Um, but I think it's one of the really cool things about this particular adaptation of it is that because the source material is written, you know, in the past tense as letters talking about stuff that has gone on, a lot of this movie is conversations with people talking about something that's gone on. Um, and that's how the story moves forward in these kind of past tense conversations, which I think is really, really interesting to see in a movie format. It's not usually what you end up, <laughs> end up seeing. And I thought that was really cool. You know, another thing this movie did that I really liked Lucas was the way it introduced characters. Um, yeah. It, <laughs> and, and this is, I guess a slight spoiler, but for each character, it would show like just a a shot of the character standing and with their character names appearing on screen. And like, it was very, um, Wes Anderson almost. Mm -hmm. Um, I, mm. I really enjoyed just that method of every time, like a new character came in, like we just got a moment, like with just their face to explain like who they are and like what their position is. Yeah. It is, it is very, like, you, you've got to, this is a movie you're going to want to pay attention to if you're going to watch this movie. Absolutely. There are a lot of characters that come on really quickly, and you got to pay attention to who they are and, and a, what their relationships are. And, and a lot of dialogue, is, yeah. Yeah, lots of dialogue that is uh, very much something that uh, you wouldn't hear nowadays. So uh, it definitely, you're going to need to pay a lot of attention. But I'd say, I'd say the, the actors make this movie everyone does a fantastic job i'd say the, the breakout star is tom bennett he plays one of the suitors um and he's the funniest thing in this movie oh he i died it. laughing during his scene every second he's on screen he is hilarious but overall this is just a fantastic movie you know watching this movie movie made me um really excited for the possibility of uh, a modern adaptation of it um, mm -hmm. One of my favorite genres of movies is like high school movie versions of Shakespeare plays. And <laughs> and like this yep. story is so ripe for a modern retelling because you have like this sexy but like kind of um, bitchy older woman that is, you know, the center of the story. And I, I would just love to see what that would look like in a modern context. Um, I think it'd be interesting to see how it plays out because, I mean, the, the story is a widow looking for a husband for herself and her daughter, two husbands, looking for husbands for herself and her daughter. Um, and just the dynamic of, of that, I mean, just the whole, the, the whole, I guess, time dynamic of how weird that that would be now a days, mm -hmm. I guess, unless, I mean, gold digger context. Yeah, it works. Yeah. I'm in. I think I'm it in. does. Do the adaptation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah especially like cool. the whole like her hitting on like a younger man aspect Ugh, i would mm -hmm. love to see that in a modern context all right next up modern adaptation of <laughs> lady susan This week, we watched Luke Cage, the new Marvel show on Netflix. Um, this has been in development for the last, I don't know, year that we've heard about this coming down the down the pipeline. Um, Luke Cage actually made his debut in Jessica Jones um, last November, and now he's getting his own series. So did you guys watch it? What did you think? And I didn't put a period at the end of that sentence. Go. <laughs> yes, I watched it. Um, not all of it. I'm about four episodes in right now and really, really enjoying it. Um, I have enjoyed it as much, if not more. I mean, I hesitate to do that, you know, an Apple to Apple's comparison. They're obviously very different, but it is right up there on the same level with Jessica Jones to me. Um, it's uh, very compelling characters. Um, this kind of street level action, very, uh, neighborhood environment is just completely, uh, uh, oh, what's the word I'm trying to think of? Captivating. And, um, yeah, it, it just, it does a really good job of setting a place, um, developing these characters slowly over time. 
um, and really getting to, into the kind of nuanced psychology of these heroes and of the people that they're um, fighting to help and um, fighting against. And I love so much the, um, the kind of element of focusing on Harlem and focusing on black culture and really delving into that in a way that we haven't seen within uh, the Marvel universe as of yet and honestly see all too rarely in general in uh, big budget, uh, well-received dramas like this. So I have really, really been enjoying it. Um, it's, yeah, I like it. I'll shut up, let you guys know. <laughs> I just finished it tonight and I had such an amazing time with this series. I have a lot of criticisms about it, but those criticisms only come out because of how invested I am in the show. And so when you're that invested in something, you're thinking about it so hard. And I have a lot of, you know, story criticisms about it, but I did have an amazing time with it. And I think it's one of the most interesting things that Marvel has put out in a long time. Mm-hmm. Did you have you, you've watched the other Marvel series, right? Daredevil I, and I've, Jessica Jones. Um, I've only watched Jessica Jones. Daredevil only Jessica Jones. Okay. does not interest me only in just like it has hot guys in it. Like that's about as much interest <laughs> as I have in Daredevil. Got it. Got it. Yeah, I I was very curious as to how I would feel coming into this show. I feel like it's the most specific sh- thing that marvel has done so far absolutely um all, everything marvel does tries to cater to the biggest audience possible um and i feel like they also did that with daredevil starting off their their netflix uh empire um and i feel like they narrowed in with jessica jones being able to target a smaller audience and trying to get very specific with their storytelling and i feel like they've done that even more so here with luke cage um it's this is not a show for everybody and it's not trying to be, and I think it's a hundred percent okay. I think we need more shows like that that are um, mm-hmm. trying to tell a specific story and not worried about who their. Um, I guess they are. They are worried about who their audience is. They want a specific audience for this, um, and it's not. I guess tied to budgetary reasons that, like, yeah, you know, we have to reach this many people or anything like that. It's telling a specific story, and if it reaches you, great. If it doesn't, no worries. Or like a global I, box office goal, you know that. Yeah, yeah. I think it's the beauty of beauty of what Netflix can do in this day and age is allow for something like this to happen. Um, they yeah, don't have to worry about. Yeah, have to test well in China. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I also think, like you said, this is a specific story about Harlem. Um, this premiered on September 30th, and they actually premiered it two days early in Harlem. So if your Netflix account was tied to Harlem, oh wow, um, to a Harlem address, Ooh. it came out two days early, which is really just really cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I saw a featurette that they did where they interviewed a bunch of like Harlem icons and did a like mm-hmm. short little features on different uh, like oh uh iconic sites within the neighborhood like it was really good yeah and i feel like a lot of that is deeply rooted in the show not only in the fact that um they talk about harlem a lot but you see a lot of not i don't know about i've never been to harlem so i don't know about like you know i specific icons in harlem but the feel of it is very harlem and they use the people of harlem um as individual characters not just to test how i feel like i feel like in every other show they kind of test how uh the city feels about the superhero just in a general whole and this they actually i feel like have real characters um rooted in the city which is which is really neat so and it's really um, interesting too seeing so and again you guys have seen more than me but so far there have been some really cool moments where uh luke cage being from the south and, you know, coming up in, I think it was Georgia, he said, and now mm-hmm. being in Harlem and in a northern city and it being like a totally different context and kind of the culture being so different and how those things have rubbed up against each other. It was just, there's been a lot of, they try for a lot of nuance, which I thought was really cool. Yeah, I definitely feel like they've done a lot to um, specify characters and make it very, <laughs> um, very specific, which is super cool. I liked it. I liked it a lot. So um, specifically, I want to talk about the music to start off with. This is something that I feel like overall 
really drove the direction of the show and the feeling of the show. And in a lot of, I guess, black movies, black shows, there's a lot of hip hop and rap and that kind of thing. And and this, I mean, obviously that's in there, but this focused on jazz and, you know, a lot of like 1970s style and music. And so what did you guys feel about the music? I felt so much about the music. Just <laughs> for anyone who hasn't seen it yet, this isn't really a spoiler, but a lot of scenes take place in an, a Harlem nightclub called Harlem's Paradise. Mm-hmm. And so that allowed for um, in between scenes, a lot of really interesting musicians just to be featured um, and just to have really special moments with these musicians, I guess, in the scene performing music live for a crowd or doing rehearsals. Um, just a lot, like you said, a lot of jazz, a lot of funk, a lot of soul music um, sp- spread throughout this series. Um, later on in the season, there's a, a really great cameo by a musician and there's a really great a music segment that's like you'll know it when you see it that I um I thought was handled really well uh the way that music is like intertwined throughout this whole show is so important and uh, noticeable in a way that's like it, they want you to notice the music it's not mm-hmm. um by accident that the music is such like a primary focus yeah I think in in the first episode um they do they do a scene at the at the club and a lady is singing and they spend so much time focusing on on her um while the scene's playing out that even if you don't know who she is or anything like that you you like you know like this is important right like this is this is somebody that we we should know um and i i think if you just research all the music in this show you'll have a great playlist mm-hmm. you just put something together mm-hmm. listen to it and that is the feeling of luke cage it's it's really great no. yeah the uh the soundtrack just came out on spotify this week and is very very good um i mean even from the first seconds of this show the the theme song with the driving like 70s guitar and like wah pedal stuff just like this mm-hmm. feeling of uh, funk and power pulsing through it like it's it's great they struck a really great chord when they were make, putting the the tone together with the music of the show i want to have a short aside where i say i love the opening credits to this show i think it's so like simple and it sets the tone perfectly and they're not too long which a lot of shows mm-hmm. often their opening credits are just too long <laughs> Um, or too short. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and I think this one is just the it's just the mm-hmm. right everything. Yeah. Agreed. I think a lot of the the way music played and the way musicians play, they have a lot of conversations about musicians as well. Um and a lot of that just ca- carries over into just the the well the writing of the show and just how it was written. And this was written this the showrunner is is black. His name is uh what is it? Chio Coker? Yeah. So the, the showrunner Chio Coker established a um, primarily black writing team um, to put this show together, and I th- I mean it's it's a rare thing <laughs> to mm-hmm. see is a, a f- mostly black writing crew, um, but I th- I mean I think it comes across. I feel like I not it's not just a black writing crew; it's a very diverse writing crew as well, um, with different backgrounds and different um, different styles, and I think that plays out is you have a lot of characters um, who aren't defined by their race and aren't defined by um, where they're from and things like that. No. And yet like this show is filled with converse. They're not defined by their race. And yet the show is like filled with conversations about like what their race means to them. And like, that is a theme that is explored constantly, like from the very beginning of this show to the very end of it, where there are, explicit conversations about what the neighborhood of Harlem means to the black community and what being black means in today's world and what it means in yesterday's world and how like we, we, where we, where they were and where they came. And um, yeah, these conversations are had not only by like your heroic figures or like, your well-meaning cops, they're had by the villains and really, really, in- like, it's a really interesting context to have these conversations about, like, what growth looks like. Um, 
I yeah, I I found the writing in this show to just be I think it's strongest suit. Um in a in a show where a lot of things are going well, the writing like blew me away a lot of yeah. the times. I think overall as a showrunner, um I think I think Coker did a did a great job. This is I think this is the first, maybe second show that he's run. Um, but I, th- I think he did a great job. I think this show's biggest struggle on the writing standpoint is the fact that it's 13 episodes long. Yeah. And that, that's the Marvel like stamp. Many. That's what you have to do. And every Marvel show I think could be trimmed to, you know, 10, eight, eight episodes. Yeah. That would be, it'd be preferred. And I think, I think this one especially suffers from that is there's a lot of padding in there um, and a lot of time to get to know the characters. And, but I think overall they didn't have enough story to fit the full 13 episodes, which I think is sad. You know, Lucas, I think I feel the opposite of you in that I agree that it's much too long. And when I said that the writing is the strongest, I'm, I'm kind of thinking specifically about like the dialogue and those conversations, but storytelling, Mm -hmm. I would definitely agree with you. Like there are some like aspects I think that are a little bit flawed, but Mm -hmm. I disagree with you that there, I think there was too much story to tell. And I think they tried to fit like too many different stories into one season and make it a 13 episode season when they could have been a little bit more focused and had like, a really amazing eight episode season. Um, I guess that's true. It's a little, yeah, it's, it's too much, too much packed in and yet not enough as well. <laughs> yeah. Cause I, cause <laughs> I want, I wanted more. Um, it, it does feel like two parts. It feels like two Absolutely. halves um, of this show that you have the first half and the second half. And I feel like I wanted to dive in deeper with a lot of the things that happened in the first half and also dive in deeper with what happened in the second half. Um, but I feel like there was a lot of padding to try to make it one. I remember watching episode five and thinking like, oh, this feels like a finale. What episode am I on? And then like checking it and being like episode five. Um, I think you could have had a complete season if you had ended the story at episode five, like in a slightly different way. Um, I honestly think the, for the first half of the season could have been six episodes mm -hmm. and we get a little more background and that would have been flawless. Right. It would have been so good. Um, but I understand why they want <laughs> so much packed in here. Um, we've got a lot more to go with this, this show. Um, and there's so much history to Luke Cage that they want, but I also we don't need it. We don't need it all so at once. I also strange think, is go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I also think that they are burdened with like an abundance of talent. And so, like specifically with all the different characters that they had in villain roles, they give these villains such amazing moments to shine. And instead of having just like one central villain, they told like many villain stories and because they had all this amazing talent, like portraying these villains. Um, And so rather than waste those actors, they just decided to like give them as much story as possible, which I think hurt the storytelling overall, but gave us a lot of like great moments. Yeah, it's a weird place to be where you have this kind of wealth of talent, like you're saying, but also a wealth of canon and a wealth of stories to draw from. Sure. Like you have all of this backlog of like, oh, you know, it can take this subplot or this theme that's been so, so integral to the Luke Cage uh, story and mythos throughout the comic book run. But they're trying to do this different thing where it's grounded, where it's a Netflix show, where the, you know, character beats are longer and real and in ways that it can't quite play out in a comic book. So it's it almost seems crazy that they could have 13 episodes and some of it still feel like it's padded. I mean, I agree with you guys 100%. I think that every hour-long Netflix show should be eight episodes long, and that would be perfect. Um, but it's it's kind of... It feels like a wasted opportunity, but not not so much a wasted opportunity. I just like I un I feel like I understand the difficult position they're in, of having all of this story, trying to compress it into these thirteen episodes, but also trying to keep that grounded and let these characters breathe. It's a hard line to toe, mm-hmm. especially when so, we don't know what they have to get in before 
like the new series that they have planned, like what yeah, they the have Defenders to yeah series. what they have to build right. up into that story. Um, there might be like beats that they had, like they were you know directed to hit by the end mm-hmm. of the season. <laughs> yeah. Or like, oh no, you can't do that yet. Like, but this would be perfect here. No, 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 you can't do that yet. <laughs> right. 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 So yeah, because we have we have Iron Fist um, um, coming out in 2017. Which did at the beginning of 2017? Have you all seen that trailer? I have. Lawson, have you? I haven't, but feel free. I I gotta tell you, Lucas, nothing about that trailer looked appealing to me. I 100% agree. <laughs> it uh, looked super boring. Yeah. So, but I'm I'm gonna watch it because it's <laughs> weird because um, it's like got fists in it and iron. Like it feels yeah, like it'd be yeah. a really strong show. I don't know. <laughs> no, but I didn't realize that, like, I knew people were calling them the Defenders, which mm-hmm. I figured were just like, oh, that's a nice shorthand for all, all these Netflix Marvel shows. I didn't realize there was actually going to be a team-up event like there was with the Avengers with these shows. Yeah, um, so fall 2017, we, sh- we should get a... They originally slated it as a miniseries, but now they've said it's a series, so I don't know. That was going to be my question because I'd missed that news. I yes. feel like it could. I feel like a miniseries makes more sense, but it does. But this thirteen episode thing seems to be. <laughs> I know they're they're things. So we'll 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 see. They also announced um, that the villain for that series is going to be played by Susan Sarandon, and that no, has Sigourney me. Weaver. Oh, Sigourney Weaver, Sigourney Weaver, a different older <laughs> redhead. Um, <laughs> either one i'd be okay no sigourney weaver makes a lot more sense thank you for correcting me um i'm I, I was very excited by that news any older lady villain i'm gonna be excited by let's get this straight yeah so speaking of older lady villains oh my let's god let's talk about the acting in this show well i mean the character of mariah it, i would say that my favorite performances in this show are that character and the character of mm-hmm. Shades. I think... Shades, really? Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, honestly... He's terrible. No, to be He's honest, I think actor. I like Shades more than Mariah, even. like. Oh, no. No, Lucas. No. The Shades character, like, even though he was a villain, I loved that character, and I loved everything about that performance so much. The, the character itself, I think, is a fantastic character, but I think... Uh, who, what's his name? Theo Rossi did a terrible job. Oh, uh, I think he was super stunted. Like, here's my question: Does so, Shades wear sunglasses? Yeah. Have you not met Shades yet? I've not met Shades yet. Yeah, you have. You have. He's the guy who wears sunglasses. <laughs> <laughs> the guy that he was in prison with for a minute. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The oh, guy okay. he calls Shades. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. You're that dude. He's like. I have been so disinterested in that character that I have not. Uh, I think he's I'm magnetic. You, he's boring. When he's on screen, he's... I don't want to look at anyone else. <laughs> I love that character. Um, oh, no. I especially love his care his chemistry with Mariah. I think like that's some of the most interesting stuff that the show is doing. Um, their dynamic that gets set up like in the second half of the season really does it for me. Yeah. Uh, the other actor that I would say really shines is Marshala Ali um, from House of Cards fame. Um, he does a fantastic job as Cottonmouth. I think I think he shines brighter than even Mike Coulter as Luke Cage in this show. I think he does just a bang up job of being a bad guy and also having feelings. His performance. Yeah. It took me a while to grow on, like to grow into it. I, I at first was a little thrown by it, especially like the laugh thing that he does. Mm, um, love the laugh. Yeah, but no, after sitting with it for a couple of episodes, I was mm-hmm. really digging it. Um, yeah. I, I, I think just like at first glance, it threw me off how like large of a performance it was, but it was very fitting for that character. Yeah, this is and, a good year for him. This is a good year for him. He's got a lot going on with House of Cards and uh, Moonlight. Oh, um, yeah. Is it Moonlight? Yeah, yeah. I'm is really he, excited yeah. about Moonlight. Yeah, I think I think this is... Uh, 2016 will be a big kickoff year for him. Yeah. I've seen a lot of talk about uh, Simone Missick, who played Misty Knight, Absolutely. and her performance being like a breakout role, and I cannot help but agree. And she... Uh, the 
kind of captivating. You can't look at anybody else thing that you're talking about, Sandra. That mm-hmm. is been the case every time that she has been on screen. I think she does a phenomenal job and makes it look completely effortless. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Lawson. I, honestly, I love almost everyone in this cast. I think it's really great. The one performance that I thought I couldn't stand to watch was that of the character of Detective Scarf. Yep. Oh, oh yep. yeah, he's awful. <laughs> he's really bad. He yeah. Yeah, that... I'm out of here. I know. I, I, I don't know what they were doing with that guy, but everyone else is really killing it. He's like a human fedora. I would agree. Yeah, that's actually that's actually fitting. Thank that's you. great. Not like um, the cool way that some of these people wear fedoras. <laughs> you know what I mean? All the right. normal fedora <laughs> that you see on on most people. <laughs> um, so overall, we talked a little bit about how this tied into the Marvel universe, but how do you feel like these little segmented shows are doing? We've, this is our, I guess, technically our fourth season of a Marvel Netflix show. Do you feel like this is working? Do you feel like it can continue? How long do you think this is going to last? I think whenever they pull them all together to finally fight Zool, uh, it's going to be <laughs> worth it. It's going to all be understood, and I'm excited for that. Be worth it saying you don't like it individually. No, I was making a Sigourney Weaver being the villain joke, sorry. Um, no, I got that. I got that. <laughs> no, no, I think it's real. like, they've been really good. I have only started Daredevil. Um, I never finished it just because I was watching enough other, like, really uh, heavy shows at the time. Mm-hmm. But Jessica Jones was incredible. Luke Cage is incredible. And I think you're right, Lucas, whenever you said it's cool that, like, some these shows aren't for everybody. Um I like that they're doing that. I like that they're doing a specific thing. And I like that they exist on their own merits. And I think these would... Everyone that I've been able to stick with would have been an interesting show, even if there wasn't an MCU. So Mm -hmm. I'm into it. I like that these shows are starting conversations that, like we talked about earlier, can't happen in, like, the bigger Marvel franchises. I like that... Jessica Jones can, like, be focused on, like, what sexual assault is like or what, like, having an abuser is like. I like that, like, this show can have, like, these conversations about blackness and about, like, a community like Harlem. I like that we can get really specific with these shows. And yet, because Marvel has done such a good job of world building before these series came to us... We understand the universe, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, that these shows exist in. Um, Like, we, this show has so many references to previous Marvel films or to previous Mm -hmm. Netflix series that don't feel out of place at all or forced in. They just feel, like, so natural to be hearing because we've been living in this cinematic universe for, like, a. it feels like a decade now. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. And so when we hear references, a decade. Yeah, that sounds about right. So when we hear references to Iron Man very casually or um, to like Hammer, is it what is it Hammer Weapons or Hammer Industries or um, yeah, we, you know, we recognize those and it doesn't feel like a call out. It just feels like, oh, right, that those people are part of this story. Um, mm-hmm. I I loved how lived in this universe feels and I love how. Even though, like, we understand this greater universe, we get to explore what these small communities are like within that greater scope. Yeah. I, okay, I'm going to get super nerdy in the Marvel Cinematic Universe here for a sec. Let's do it. So up for this. (laughs) So the 2008 Hulk movie with Edward Norton is technically part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Oh, I don't count it. (laughs) Nobody really does, but it technically is. And the story, like they act like they act like it all happened, that that is canon. But at the end of that movie. Hulk and Abomination or whatever that dude's name is, tear up Harlem. They destroy Harlem. And I thought if the, if like if if we're going to have a chance to have a callback 
to a Thor movie or to a to a Hulk movie, which nobody has done because nobody wants to talk about that movie. This would be it when they talk about how Harlem was destroyed by the Hulk and just like how ridiculous that was. Not brought up at all. Nobody mentioned it. I think they're acting as if Harlem was not destroyed. And so by yeah. proxy, so I think I think we're done with the Hulk. Yeah. I think we're done with that movie. Yes. I, what was it called? The Incredible Hulk. So Whatever. like you're I've, saying that by proxy, that movie is not gonna, like considered part yeah. of the cinematic universe. Absolutely. I think I think we've uh, we've just nixed it entirely. I'm OK with from that. Canon. So I'm 100 percent OK with it as well. I would love for them to, and I don't think they will, but I would love for them to retcon that movie with Mark Ruffalo. I think he's the perfect Hulk, and people would go see that movie. Like, I hey, think so. I don't. It, I don't think we need a an origin story again. That's one of the, again one of my problems with Luke Cage is how sick of origin stories I'm. <laughs> sure. I'm so tired of them. Sure. And I, yeah. I thought we were not going to get that at the beginning of this show that he was. You know, he had his powers. We didn't need to, like, dive in deep. Yeah. We could just maybe talk about how he got it, but we didn't need to see it. And then he just, it'd be more about how he turns into a hero than how he got his powers. And, uh, no, they spend a little bit too much time on how he got his powers. And how he got his powers, he gets his own Uncle Ben, he gets all these different things. Yep. Yep. One thing I wanted to bring up in this conversation, so I've never been to New York so I don't have a big grasp on like how big Harlem is and or how small Harlem is and this isn't a criticism because I'm not saying it's inaccurate I just it's a very foreign thing to me but like the way Harlem was treated like it was this whole city was really interesting to me like it seemed like there were a new station like just dedicated to Harlem or like radio shows that like only went out to Harlem. Um, what, what did y'all feel? How did y'all feel about that? Lawson, this is you take it away. <laughs> yeah. So I lived in the Bronx a little bit at, right after college and it's not, um, that's not a misrepresentation from my experience. Anyway, I didn't live there very long. Um, but the, New York City isn't, it's a very big city, but each of these individual boroughs do feel like their own city because everything is foot traffic. Like, hardly anyone ever drives anywhere. And so whenever you're walking every place that you're going, a place that is a mile away feels as far away as it actually is, as opposed to other places where you would drive there and you're like, oh, that's only one minute away. Like, no, that's, you know, 15, 20 minutes away. So even, and the train is the same thing. Public transit will take you a while to get from one place to the other, even though in reality, it might only be a couple of blocks. So the, my, my impression from living there was it's like, yeah, I mean, it, it's its own subculture. Every borough has its own subculture. And of course there's, you know, cross pollination. People are going from place to place and you can pretty easily on the buses and trains and stuff, but everything feels a lot bigger regardless of how much square footage there is whenever you're walking there. At one point I was uh, going to the airport and I got turned around because it was, I, it was been pretty early on that I was there. And uh, I was talking to somebody that grew up in the Bronx, like was there, had been there their whole life. And I was in Queens at the time and they couldn't give me any directions. They didn't know anything about Queens. They didn't know anything about how to get anywhere. Nothing. Like, it's totally, you know, you have segments, and a lot of times there's divided by um, subcultures or ethnicities or socioeconomic status or whatever else, but um, it's they're very self-contained. Generations and generations of people um, can live in the, the same spot in the same borough, and it really helps uh, a place feel super, super insular. Yeah, that's really interesting to hear. And that, I think, is echoed a lot in this show. And so hearing from, like, yeah, hearing that that is, like, very realistic is nice mm -hmm. Nice to know. Yeah. All right. So out of the, I guess, Netflix shows that you've seen, where would you rank this? All Netflix shows or Marvel Netflix shows? The Marvel Netflix shows. Oh. Hmm. I would say I definitely... Um, connected to Jessica Jones a lot more 
and Mm -hmm. I found Jessica Jones to be a lot more thrilling, but Mm -hmm. I was introduced to a lot of new conversations with this show. And so they're very different beasts. So I I would say I enjoy Jessica Jones more, but um, only because it's very different from Luke Cage and I enjoyed Luke Cage a ton. Yeah. I, I don't know that I can make that judgment right out quite yet because I haven't finished it and I finished Jessica Jones all the way through. But uh, I think it, speaks volumes that already you know four episodes in i'm like oh this feels as good as jessica jones did to me um so i mean i love david Tennant. he's a fantastic actor and so whenever he was playing the main villain in jessica jones i was in on multiple levels but even with uh a lot of these actors that are super talented but that i haven't seen in very much stuff um just starting off doing this well i it's it's in the running for the top for me all right nice I would say my official rankings are Daredevil Season 1, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, and then Daredevil Season 2 at the bottom. Ooh, Burn Season 2. I know, right? But I I definitely liked Luke Cage. I thought there were a ton of problems. Um, And overall, the show was not made for me, and I am 100% okay with that. Um, Is there going to be a Punisher spinoff series? Is that happening? There is. That's also possibly happening in 2017. So we might get two mar- or three Marvel Netflix shows in 2017. And Punisher is and Punisher. part of uh, Daredevil? Is that like a Daredevil character? He was in Daredevil season two, okay. but he's technically his own. Is He has his own comic books, so. Okay. He gets his own show, apparently. And he got several failed movies. Yeah, seriously. I feel like I feel like a huge issue I have with the Marvel Universe in general is just everyone has punchy powers. Nobody has anything else, but just they're super strong or is really good at like martial arts. That's about it. Yeah. All we really got. What other powers are you going to get by being in a pool of liquid? (laughs) I know, right? Turning the lever. Here's. Yeah. So. You know, that reminded me, Lucas, of one thing I wanted to point out that I thought was very interesting about both Jessica Jones and Luke Cage is that, like, Mm -hmm. one of the most interesting things that Jessica Jones did was it provided this villain where throughout the whole time I'm watching it, I'm like, how do you defeat this villain? It seemed impossible to defeat because, like, he has a power that seems undefeatable. Um, mm-hmm. And I thought Luke Cage like kind of took on that same question, but flipped it by making our hero seem to be like you. There's nothing that can stop this hero. And so, yeah. like, I think both series do some interesting like maneuvers to ans- to like add conflict to what should be a conflict free character. Um, yep. And so, yeah, I thought I, I thought that they did the same kind of um, like asking the same kind of questions, but flipping it by doing it, the hero instead of the villain in this series was a really cool take. Yeah, definitely. I'm excited to see where this goes in the future, like in season two. I feel like, I feel like there's so much depth to this character and this story and this background. I am excited to see where they take it. Yep. Totally agree. Give me some more of that shades. (laughs) (laughs) I think that about wraps it up for us. So until next week, Guys, where can people find you individually? I'm Sandra Omstutz, and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram mostly at Sandra Omstutz. My last name is spelled A-M-S-T-U-T-Z. All right. I'm Lawson Sauer. You can find me uh, on Instagram at Lawson West or on Twitter at Lawson West, accidentally looking like a troll during the presidential debates. (laughs) Classic. Classic. Yeah. And you can catch me shutting trolls down. Oh, yeah. (laughs) We both got, like, some of our most famous Twitter interactions, except hers was very positive and mine was a misunderstanding about something being very negative. So, like, I want to delete my tweet, but it's also the most famous thing that's ever happened. You need to beat yourself up about that. Everybody has (laughs) missteps on Twitter, and yours was very, very um, minor as far as they go. She liked my apology, so I think it worked out. I actually got in a fight with somebody on, about Luke Cage about a year ago, and they misunderstood me. So there oh, you go. Nice. <laughs> I'm Lucas Wright. You can find me at Lucas and Stuff just about everywhere. I will be Instagramming my trip to Napa this weekend. So if you want to see that, that's where I'll be. Ooh, fun. And you can find our podcast Twitter account at Feeling It Pod. We're also on Facebook at Facebook.com slash at Feeling It Pod. 
Let us know if you're watching Luke Cage, any favorite things you like about it or don't like about it, or just what you thought of things that we brought up in today's episode. We always love to hear people's feedback. And we'd love to know how many podcasts you subscribe oh, to. Oh, absolutely, please. And if there's ones that we should check out, I always am adding new podcasts to my sus- subscription. So <laughs> Obviously, you have more than both of us combined. Give, give us true. as many recommendations <laughs> as you want. All right. Till next week. Adios. Bye-bye. Adios, everybody. Bye. Thank you. Goodbye now. Goodbye. Go away. I'll see you soon, okay? That's it? Go home? Yep. Moving along, Padre. Goodbye, old friend. That's it. That's our show for tonight, people. 